the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KEOW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you have a money question for the show, Love to hear from you. Chad at chadburton.com. That's all you got to do is email me your questions. Chad at chadburton.com. Got a couple to go over a little bit later in the show. Um, kind of missed you guys last week. Just caught up in business and work issues. It's hard to record every week, but we are live today. So if you have a money question, chad at chadburton.com. Last week, I did mention that the bond market was quite interesting because we have... The stock market reaching all-time highs. You had a big tech rebound pushing the NASDAQ to highs. And yet, interest rates were falling. And the bond market does tell you something. You, you, you do have to look at the bond market. When you get a disconnect like that, when the market is increasing in value and you're hearing signs of inflation all over the place, companies like BlackRock increasing their wages... Every business owner you know out there that we're paying people 15 bucks an hour have to pay them more or even do side deals to get people to come in even while they're on unemployment just to keep their businesses in operation. You, there's, there's signs of inflation everywhere, yet you know everybody seems to be out spending money, buying jet skis, boats, RVs, used car prices at all-time highs, housing way up, multiple offers, cash offers on homes, yet interest rates... We're dropping. We went from a high on the 10-year treasury this year of 1.73%. The current yield is 1.19%. The 10-year treasury rate. That's crazy. So, and, and then we get a little bit of a pullback here. I mean, this is nothing. The average drawdown in most years when there's a decline in a year is 14%. So... I mean, this is nothing. You could easily say, oh, well, it could get worse. Well, it could rebound. There's a lot of buying on the dips already today. The market is showing a positive open after yesterday's decline, which really wasn't much, you guys. It really wasn't much. It's just that you're used to the market going straight up again and you, you forget about, oh, yeah, remember last year when it declined 40 plus percent in a very short period of time, but then rebounded and went to all-time highs? So a lot of, lot of uh, people are looking at this saying, okay, look, any dip that we get is a buying opportunity to sell stock to buy stocks because bonds are not yielding too much. In fact, bonds have rallied so much recently, it might be time to look to say, oh, maybe I should take some gains on some of these longer uh, bonds, longer 
any, anything with duration above the, you know, five or 6% and duration is sensitivity to interest rates. So right now, if you look at AGG, which is an ETF that tracks the US aggregate Barclays aggregate bond index, which is kind of like a little bit of everything. So what's, if you look at a year to date chart, that back in March of uh, this year, March 18th, uh, at one point the ag was down about 3.72%. And that's total returns. So that's including the interest income that it had received so far that quarter. So, and, and that's moved all the way back to now the Barclays is now almost positive for the year, it's, eh, slightly negative. So it's, it's down about a half a percent for the year. That is a huge movement in bonds for one year. Just like back in 2013, when you had taper tantrum, when you had a big increase in rates, it wasn't really that high, but it was such a large percentage from the bottom of where rates were, the market reacted negatively. You had that taper tantrum back in 2013. And so if we get past this COVID Delta variant that is sparking this, and we get past supply chain issues, and the market kind of pushes forward especially with infrastructure spending and things like that. I just don't see how rates can stay here, but you know what? It's, it's hard to call rates. And this is a perfect example of why, but at the same time, like I said before, there's always a, a competition between stocks and bonds. If you look at the U S aggregate bond index, the Barclays aggregate bond index, you got a yield of about 1.87%. All right. So if you look at the S and P 500, just look at SPY. That's an ETF that tracks the S&P 500. You have a dividend yield of 1.31%. So you only, in order to get the safety of bonds, so a 10-year treasury, if you buy it, you're going to get 1.8% or so, 1.87, or no, I'm sorry, the ag. If you buy the bonds, all the bonds in the ag, you'll get about 1.87% over 10 years and you'll get your money back. And that's about it. If you buy the S&P 500, you'll get a dividend yield the stocks that pay dividends of about 1.31%. And then whatever the value is 10 years later. In most cases, 10 years later, the stock market is much higher. And so people are looking at it and saying, yeah, I know the stock market has 20, 30% corrections every five to seven years, but those are temporary. If I don't need the money, I tend to buy more. And so, you know what? I'll, I'll deal with the volatility because I don't need the money for 10 plus years. And... I think that companies like Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and, and those types of companies, even though the prices are a bit high now, 10 years from now, they'll probably be even higher. So heck, I'll just take those dividends as long as I don't have to sell anything. And, so, and that's that's what's happening here. That's why when I got into the business, geez, how many years ago was it now? It was 28. Um, the, the normal asset allocation was more like 40% stock, 60% bonds as a 65-year-old going into retirement. And that's now reversed. It's more like 65, 35, 65% stocks, 35% bonds, as long as you have that safe money that I talk about. That safe money is three years worth of portfolio draws. So if you have all of your expenses, including taxes and healthcare costs, minus your income, such as social security and pensions and very stable rental income and some dividends and things like that, you know what your portfolio draws. How much principal, how much are you going to have to sell on top of your dividends and interest? You want three years worth of that in safe money going into retirement so that you don't ever have to sell in a down market so that if you are a bit more aggressively allocated, 
the 60, 40 and beyond, 60% stocks, 40% bonds and beyond, that if you have a difficult market cycle, you're never selling because stocks will recover. They always do. And in a balanced portfolio, I've never seen a 10-year period in the history of the stock market, even if you had invested October 2007, before the Great Recession, by 2017, you still had more money, even with all that. So just you know, get used to a bit of a volatile, volatile situation here. We have China hacking Microsoft. We've got a lot of different things going on. In fact, there is a firm we pay a, t- a lot of attention to here at EP Wealth called Strategis. And they give us a weekly economic summary. And on Sunday, the one that they sent out says, the U.S. bond market looks to be reflecting concerns about global growth, which can spill over to the U.S. either through demand channel, less global demand, or the supply channel. And that's an inability to produce and ship goods and services as quickly as they can be sold. And that's what's happening right now for sure. Ask any home builder. Ask any auto producer. It's just, it's crazy. The supply chain is still just not keeping up with demand in any way, shape, or form. And then they talked about the Atlanta Fed's GDP tracker started out with uh, 2Q more robust, but as new data has been released, it's been steadily whittled down. So GDP, gross domestic products, a measure of all goods and services in the U.S. continues to kind of get whittled down. A lot of it is because the supply chain cannot keep up with the demand. And it was mostly demand and cash out in the market that was putting GDP numbers above 8% this year. And then we have a a really tough employment situation where people are jumping jobs a lot. Um, They know they can get a little bit more money. They know there's a lot of demands and wages are rising. Those are a couple things that are going to eat into some profits. So we we got the supply chain and we got some things eating into profits and then we got some geopolitical concerns. Yeah, we manage portfolios, but that's just a very small part of what we do for people. And we have a team of well over 50 certified financial planner practitioners of EP Wealth. So check it out. Just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. If you need some help with your financial planning, money management, estate planning, things like that. That is the biggest topic of most conversations with clients these days is what to do about estate planning issues? Should should we set up specific types of trusts? Whether it's GST trust, dynasty trust, spousal lifetime access trusts, um, things like that to lock in these high estate tax lifetime credits. And so if you're really over six, seven million in net worth, single or twice that if you're married, that's when you should be considering these things. It's got to be part of an overall financial plan because when you create trusts for estate planning where you're making gifts, a lot of times in order to make sure that you have it as a gift, it's irrevocable. And so you got to be very careful and make sure you have enough on your side of the ledger before you give stuff away. (laughs) It's very, very important. Um, All right. Getting back to what we were talking about earlier in the show... um, We've got, I, I just, you know, typically you get summer doldrums where trading really starts to slow down. So you don't have as many buyers out there. And so the, the market starts to focus on geopolitical issues or any kind of headline that grabs attention. And recently we've seen, uh, and this, this is right out of Strategis, Strategis. Strategus, rather, <laughs> with the get that edited out for the podcast. Um, 
we get a weekly economic summary from them. And in their Sunday release, they said, recently we've seen more geopolitical instability from Haiti, South Africa, Cuba. Two, um, we've also have more COVID-19 variant concerns, especially in global markets where vaccines look less effective. Uh, they do say the U.S. looks vaccinated in a way that provides protection from the Delta variant, but there remains very vulnerable regions. There's also some vaccine hesitancy in Europe and current uh, issues in Asia. And gosh, the Olympics with no fans. Ugh, I feel so bad for those athletes. Um, and it's just odd because, again, the, the bond market does not look to be responding to recent inflation data. I've said it, strategists are saying it. The US CPI surged again in June, rising 0.9%. That's a huge amount for one month. If you, that would be almost 12% inflation for the year if you had that every single month. The core, which you exclude food and energy. So Corp CPI, Consumer Price Index, excluding food and energy, which is very volatile, also rose 0.9%. Now, a lot of that is like used car prices. If you have a used car that you've been thinking about getting rid of, sell it now. The prices are so insanely high. And if you have a car that's coming off of a lease, buy it. Because you're going to get the best deal ever on that car right now versus a, another used car that you could buy. <laughs> so US PPI and import prices also surged. Um, so you're seeing all the signs of inflation, yet interest rates dropped 3%, I think, yesterday. Now, that sounds like a lot, but it went from, oh gosh, what was it? It was, I mean, the, the U.S. 10-year treasury rates, I had it pulled up a second ago. Where are we here? So U.S. 10-year treasury rates at 1.157% after yesterday's close. Um, you know, so actually it was down about 10, uh, 2% on the yield. Um, so that's a, a pretty decent move. So the bond, the 10-year bond itself was down 2%. So I can't, I guess, equate that. It's historically low is the deal. Uh, those that think that, um, you know, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is a good hedge against market declines like this. Nope, not at all. You know, now Bitcoin under $30,000 again. So, um, down three and a half percent or so yesterday, even some of the other ones that have been widely used globally for other items like Ethereum. Also down a little bit of a disconnect between uh, crypto and gold. Um, so again, I don't really look at it as any kind of a market hedge. It's really a store of value and, you know, kind of global currency alternatives. Uh, just a lot of weird pump and dump schemes going on. I've seen schemes of different sorts of cryptocurrencies being launched where it's literally you buy it and then you get other people to buy it. You get a commission on it. So it's basically like a Ponzi scheme on top of a multi-level marketing strategy. And it's, it's just getting weird out there. Um, you know, I, I love the idea of cryptocurrency just in general, especially if you're overseas and you're trying to get out of your own country's currency. And then if you look at all the uses of things like Ethereum and stuff like that, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. But it's just like never ending now. Between Dogecoin becoming a thing when it was really kind of a joke, <laughs> it's nuts. So last night, too, speaking of that and just that whole speculative trade issue, last night it was... Uh, I had... Uh, me, my girlfriend, my 16-year-old daughter, and two of her friends. So they're all 16 to 18. We're out 
for an evening wake surf session. And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's surfing behind a boat where you drop the rope and surf it like a wave. And um, we pretty much do that every day in the summertime. And two of the three uh, had Robinhood accounts that their parents helped them open. And, you know, one said, oh, yeah, I made $750 by uh, buying a cruise line. And so there's all sorts of people getting it. So there's some really good things about it because you didn't used to hear 16, 17 year olds talk about stocks. I just don't want them to get burned, like make a bunch of money and then they lose a bunch in sort of a major correction. And then they just don't look at it ever again, thinking that the market treated them badly. So, you know, that's what I want to make sure that you know, if your kids have that trading account, that Robinhood style app or anything else that, you know, sometimes these, these are story stocks or trading stocks. There's a difference between trading and investing where you buy a stock because you know that you're very confident in the business plan, the dividends, the free cash flow, the revenue growth for the next three to five years. And you're, and you're making an investment like, you know what? I'm going to hold this through volatile times, up markets, down markets for the next three to five years because I believe in the company. Very, very key. All right. Getting back to some more of the economic news. Um, so a lot of what we're feeling out there, inflation-wise, is at the pump. OPEC has reached a deal to increase oil production. So that hopefully will help calm that down a little bit. But then we get hurricane issues and this time of year where you get some of the refineries shutting down. So... And a lot of people out driving their RVs and, and traveling right now. So the demand for gasoline is very, very high. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. Well, historic day today for sure. Jeff Bezos, Mark Bezos, his brother, Wally Funk, Oliver Damon reached the edge of space and returned safely on Blue Origin's new Shepard rocket. Crazy, huh? So Jeff Bezos and then an 82-year-old and an 18-year-old went into space, flew around for a second, and then came right back down. <laughs> and uh, so, wow, historic day for sure. That's pretty interesting. You just think about... In five years, will people even be driving their own cars? A lot of people say, I enjoy driving too much. I don't want to let it drive itself. And I get it. I kind of spend half and half in my Tesla letting it drive itself on the freeway. But sometimes on corners and stuff like that, it's just so much fun to drive. Um, but I thought five years ago that my almost 17-year-old daughter probably wouldn't be driving her car, her own car much. But um, she doesn't even have a self-driving car, obviously. She's got a little Jetta. Um, and it's a little off on that prediction, but man, space flight, self-driving cars is here. Pretty soon we'll have the Jetson style oven where you put a little capsule in some kind of a crazy microwave. You push a button, it comes out of this, you know, steak and eggs or something like that for breakfast. All right. Getting back to actual content. Um, so like I was talking about the reopening trade is definitely on hold. Uh, cyclical stocks pulled back harder yesterday than kind of the traditional... Well, what is a cyclical stock anyways? I think Investopedia actually has some pretty good definitions for you. Cyclical stock is one whose underlying business generally follows the economic cycle of expansion and recession. 
So cyclical businesses perform well during economic expansions, but typically experience significantly declining sales and profits during recessions and other challenging economic times. So airlines, that's one of them. Hotels is another. So retail, certain retail, like higher end, uh, has a tough time. Whereas like Walmart, TJ Maxx, and places like that, where people shop to save money, tend to do pretty decently. Restaurants in poor economies, people eat at home more. Um, but that's really that was a COVID issue. So hotels and, and restaurants, biggest hotels, restaurants, airlines for a short period of time, and then cruise lines. I have a lot of clients who take you know one or more cruises per year that even after vaccinations, they're like, no, we're not going to be doing that for a while. So I just don't see cruise lines returning for over a decade to where they were. I could be wrong though. Um, automakers, that's, you know, tends to be one. Although during COVID, you know, Every car is bought off the lot. Every RV, jet ski, boat, all gone. They bought them all. Now, some technology um, used to be considered tech, uh, cyclical, but technology is changing in general, especially with cybersecurity concerns in China. That's a big play going forward. Uh, banks in a recession, the profitability of banks often declines. Um, and also, banks was a huge trade. Financials were a large uh, highly thought of trade going into this year, but now we have rates at close to historic lows again. That is a flattening of the yield curve and that is a problem for banks. Now, if you have diversified banks where they have wealth management, where they have merger and acquisitions, which are supposed to pick up drastically this year and next, you, you can still be okay. But that all that idea of, hey, you put money on deposit with us, we'll pay a decent interest rate, we'll loan it out at even more money. We've got loan demand falling in some cases and interest rates extremely low. So not a, not a great time for a traditional bank. Manufacturing, in tough times, individuals and businesses spend less on pretty much everything. Last year, however, every single business almost out there seemed to do a PPP loan, thinking that April, March and April, that you know we're going through a great recession again. So we better do this PPP loan so we can not have to fire people, lay people off and shut down our business. So all of a sudden, almost every single business recovered and was busier than ever before, unless they were travel, leisure uh, style businesses and you know restaurants. Um, so uh, there's all this money that's out there in the economy right now. And that is definitely being put to work. Demand is up for a lot of different things. Companies are investing in growth. Now, unfortunately, we all have to pay for it, right? Because that PPP loan money, that, that, that was basically printed money, guys. And we're, you know, our, our children and grandchildren are going to have to figure out how to deal with it. So that's cyclical. One of the ways that you can kind of keep an eye on you know, how this overall trade is going and, and how large cap growth is doing versus the rest of the stock market. One of the things that I like to look at is the S&P 500 total return versus the RSP ETF. And the RSP ETF, that's a symbol. It's for Invesco's S&P 500 equal weighted ETF. So in the S&P 500, like if you look at IVV, SPY, um, all the other different ways that you can invest in the S&P 500, it's a market cap weighted index where really most of the return, the movement of the value of your money invested is coming from the top 50 companies like Amazon, Microsoft, Cisco, Apple, all those companies that have become 
just huge behemoths out there. Whereas the Invesco S&P 500 equal weight ETF, if you had 500 bucks, you'd have a dollar invested in each company in the S&P 500. And as you look at the S&P 500, it's the largest 500 companies in America. So as you get to, you know, into the 400s, you get a little bit of a mid-cap exposure in there, smaller size companies. And there's much more value-oriented investments in the S&P 500 equal weight because most of the S&P 500 is now large growth. Now, we're still seeing an outperformance by the equal weight this year because small caps have done really well. Mid caps and value have done really well. Right now, the S&P 500 equal weight ETF is up 15.81% for the year. The S&P 500 is up 14.28. The spread was much wider. If we go back to, mm, let's say, eh, really any most of June, the equal weight S&P 500 ETF was up 19.72% versus 13 on the S&P 500. So what happened is there was a big, from about June 18th to the end of the month, there was a big rally in tech where tech caught up to the value trade. So you can't really say that that you know, value and reopening trade is, is winning too much this year. It took a pause and... Uh, and and then tech caught up. So I mean, it's just a good lesson, and you know, staying diversified. A lot of people that kind of try to go one trade all into one sector, uh, all in, all out, they would have just been better by really doing nothing at all and just staying invested. In most cases, you just have to watch how much you need to spend. Stay fully invested, but if you get closer and closer to retirement, you're within five years of retirement, and you want to be able to retire in five years, even if there's a market correction, you have to have the proper amount of cash. That's three years worth of portfolio draws in cash so that if, if you retire and the market corrects, you have enough cash, you have enough uh, other income between Social Security and pensions and dividends and interest that you won't have to sell any stocks for somewhere between three to seven years. And then you'll be just fine as long as you stick with that plan. And this is nothing new. I've been talking about this on radio since 1999. There's listeners that can vouch for me on it out there, I'm sure, because I get emails from them. All right. Moving on. Speaking of emails, I wanted to get this to this email from Alyssa. Um, I would love to learn more about qualified charitable distributions at age 70 and a half. My husband has about 1260000 in tax-deferred retirement accounts. We regularly give about $18,000 a year to charity. I believe doing a QCD might be better than taking the regular itemized contribution deduction. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Alyssa. All right. Great question. Okay, so what was interesting about was that the Secure Cares Act put off required minimum distributions on IRAs, 401ks, 403bs to age 72. But starting at age 70 and a half, you still have the ability to give up to 100 grand a year from your IRA directly to charity. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to give money to charity, but not have to claim it as taxable income, essentially. It just wipes it, wipes it off the return. And so this is especially important for people that are no longer itemizing your deductions. Is if you get to 70 and a half and you're no longer itemizing your deduction because the new standard deduction is so high, you're not getting a tax break when you give to charity over about 300 bucks. And so you might as well use money that's never been taxed 
give it straight to charity. And you can avoid the taxes on it. You can also lower your required minimum distributions going forward. So when you're gifting over $500 to a charity or a church or whatever it may be, if you're over 70 and a half, it's almost always better to do the IRA qualified charitable rollover. Now, most custodians either have a form or a lot of our clients that are over 70 and a half that give money to charity have a checkbook that they can actually get a checkbook on their TD Ameritrade or Schwab or Fidelity IRA in many cases that they can just write the checks directly to charity and then track it uh, with their CPA and on their, on their tax return. And in most cases, it tax-wise, it's, it's like a wash if you're, if you're itemizing your deductions. It's kind of like a wash, but where it benefits you greatly is the more you get out of your IRA, the lower your ongoing required minimum distributions are. So that's where it really, really helps you out. So when gifting over 500 bucks, try to do it if you're over 70 and a half with a qualified charitable rollover right out of your IRA. If you're under 70 and a half, you tend to want to give appreciated stocks. So if you have stock that you bought, maybe you bought some Zoom, maybe you have anything besides employee stock purchase shares that you know maybe it's Apple at a $6 cost basis, give a few shares of Apple. Because you get the same deduction, but when the charity gets it, they get the shares of the stock, they sell it tax-free. Or if you're not itemizing your deductions, what you do is lump them up, a bunch of them, five to 10 years worth in one year in a donor advised fund and then dole the money out from charity or to charity as you see fit and keep the money invested. Fidelity, Schwab, both have great donor advised fund options out there. Here's what comes up a lot is in retirement is, hey, I'm thinking about buying a second home. Can I afford it? Can I do it? What does my financial plan look like if I run that model? And um, there was a good article, Financial Advisor Magazine by Alexis Leonidas. Leonidas. Every author there has the craziest last names that I can never pronounce. Leondis. L-E-O-N-D-I-S. For those that care. Second homes are overvalued. And I love it. Because I've talked about this before, and this is somewhat controversial in the Bay Area, but if you look at 20 plus year periods, all things equal, stocks crush real estate. Every single time stocks crush real estate. So here's what I mean by this. If you have $300,000 and you invest it in a diversified stock portfolio where dividends are being reinvested right into those stocks. Because remember, if you look at the S&P 500, it typically yields over 2% just in dividends. Right now, it's a little less than that because prices are so high. But if you have 300K in stocks and reinvest those in dividends versus a $300,000 in a second home, and every time you pay property taxes, maintenance, HOA fees, you're in Tahoe, so you pay somebody to snowplow your driveway, uh, anytime you make an improvement, you take in a, that exact amount and you deposit that into the stock portfolio and continue to buy stocks at the same rate. If you look at the value of the stock portfolio versus the second home 20 plus years later, stocks will crush it every single time. No questions asked because the, you have a second home, you know, you have that outflow, especially property taxes in California, for example. Now, how do I still love real estate? I've owned a couple different investment properties, but the reason why I do and and is because to have a little bit of not just stocks, my entire business is in the stock market. The rest of my portfolio, 401k, stuff like that, in stocks. So I, I definitely want some real estate too. But the way that you do it is with some leverage. 
The way that real estate does keep up, can keep up with stocks over time is if you borrow some money, you put, you know, somewhere between 20 and 50% down so that you rent it out and you have positive cash flow and somebody else is paying that loan for you with the rent. That's how, that's really how real estate can keep up over time. But it's a lot easier to push a button and sell a stock than it is for real estate. And right now it's a seller's market for sure. It's easy to sell real estate, but we go through periods where it's not. And so let's look at a second home situation because, I mean, even my own grandfather, I learned a lot from him, whether it's getting me into the business, but also whether it was what not to do with real estate. Over and over again, I saw that. Um, I talked about him selling a really uh, cool house in, in Laurelhurst in Portland to move over to Vancouver, Washington to pay less taxes, but he got a manufactured home in an over 55 park. And that's not a way to, to grow money in, in, in a manufactured home by any means. So um, the other thing I saw him do is they got a, a vacation home in Crooked River Ranch, which is... If you're in Portland on your way to Bend, Oregon, uh, Crooked River Ranch is a really cool spot. But they really got sick of the place because number one, it was too far away from anything for us to really want to go much. It was too far away from Bachelor. There wasn't a... uh, Unless you had a boat down on Lake Billy Chinook, it wasn't a lot to do there. And they got sick of going there because... They'd go down for a week. They'd spend the first two days kind of cleaning everything up, making sure everything was fixed up. And then they would you know, try to enjoy themselves. And they just got over it. And they ended up selling it over time. And that's what a lot of people end up doing with their vacation homes. They, they just don't end up going as much. They go a lot when the kids are young, but all of a sudden the kids go to college. The kids don't want to go to your vacation home for spring break. They want to go to Fort Lauderdale. You know, they, it's, you just go through these periods of time where kids do and don't want to travel with you. Now, prices of homes in seasonal towns, according to this article, rose 19% in April compared to 16% with the rest of the US. So that sounds still pretty good, but that's down from a spread as many as seven percentage points last year, where you had it was more like 27% growth in vacation home prices versus 20 the rest of the country on regular homes. And owning a second home often comes with headaches and unforeseen expenses, but but uh, buying in a market that continues to be so tilted to sellers could prove to be especially disastrous for vacation homeowners. Owners. Just talked to a lot of people that bought a lot of uh, real estate in like 2006 and didn't work out how they expected. Um, you've had these seasonal towns having this huge run up in prices like Tahoe, where the typical home value is now over 604000 uh, it's just you just have to be careful. It, a lot of real estate is going because it's a place to put extra cash, and we've got a couple of things going on. You're you're in terms of lenders when they go to sell mortgages after they get you know give you one. There's limits on how much can be purchased in terms of those mortgages. So you're seeing higher rates on second homes. You also have to realize that the mortgage interest deduction is still limited. Now, um, if you bought houses after December 15th, 2017, you can only deduct interest on the first $750,000 of your mortgage. And I thought I'd have time to get to this, but I, I really don't today to really get to it into detail. So I'll save it for tomorrow's show. But if you, you've, if you really want to use the vacation home as a true rental where you get the deductions like you do in a rental situation, you got to rent it for more than 15 days a year and use it for less than 14 days a year. If you use the property for more than 14 days a year, 10% of the total days that the home is rented, 
the IRS considers the property a personal residence and you can't deduct it. So a lot of people get a vacation home and they think it's going to be this great tax deduction. They're going to use it half the time and then rent it half the time and it ends up not being so great. So get some tax advice before you do this. And I'll save a segment on tomorrow's show and podcast to talk a little bit more about how the vacation rental home works. You got to be careful. Use something like Inspirato if you want to travel really cool homes. Um, and do a lot of traveling. You can find me at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com for your financial planning, investment management, retirement planning help. Have a great day, everybody. Please tell a friend about the show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.